Morning, everyone. We are continuing on the series, The Servant, and we're looking at Jesus' life, uh, how it's leading up to uh, his death and resurrection. So this morning, we, as the scriptures was read, we'll look at Peter's confession and Jesus' response to that confession and what it means for us today. The passage we're looking at is one of the most controversial verses in the Bible, but we will not engage in any of the theological debate as there are many designated places called Bible colleges for that. So we will look at what the Word has to say for us from this passage and how the word, the, this truth of His Word will challenge us this morning. So we'll look at Peter's confession, Jesus' response, the things that he said, and how does it apply for us today here as a church. So I hope there will be an a, a encouraging word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to you We bring this word before you, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. Thank you, Lord God, that your word is true, and your word never fails, and your word never changes. Thank you, Lord God, for the word that is carried by the Holy Spirit will bring fruition to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you heard people say that church is irrelevant, outdated? The church is like a huge moving truck lumbering down a narrow road. A U-turn, even if it, is, if it were desirable, is not possible without jackknifing. Have you heard people say that church, church buildings are, are old? Church is just for Old people, sorry for my word, you say it. And some people are even selling these church structures, church buildings. And so people are saying it's, it's rapidly shrinking in our society. And some even go to an extent to say the church is dead. You may feel let down and disappointed in times like this, especially when church is not appreciated in society. But take heart, friends. Be encouraged this morning. God has ordained the church, a fellowship of the flawed, to carry out his purpose and his will into the world. He has ordained this church, a fellowship of the flawed, people with mistakes, to carry out his purpose and his will into the world. In our Bible reading, we, looked at, we, we, uh, we saw a place mentioned called Caesarea Philippi. And this is where Jesus is uh, with his disciples. Now that's where Caesarea Philippi is, right up north. Uh, it's in a Gentile territory again. And as you, if you've been following uh, uh, or online and things like that, you f- we find that Jesus circling around that area in that region. He just comes down to Sea of Galilee. And last Sunday we, found, we heard from Tim that as soon as Jesus came to Jewish territory, we find these two teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were opposing each other, all coming together and attacking Jesus. So Jesus, from this place, he goes almost 50 kilometers north, further north, again into a Gentile territory, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. 50 kilometers almost from here to Calandra. That's the distance they all walked. 
and Jesus goes to this place, a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, let's look at this place and see why Jesus goes there. Caesarea Philippi is located at the heads of two rivers. The melting snow from Mount Hermon creates Jordan and Hermon rivers. So, River Jordan actually starts from this place as the snow melts from Mount Hermon. Now, who do you think there's snow in Middle East? Mount Hermon, there is. Visitors could spend days admiring beautiful sceneries like the modern-day resort. This city offered uh, beauty and relaxation. So this was Caesarea Philippi. But in spite of all this beautiful resort-like area, Caesarea Philippi also had a dark side. It was a place of pagan worship and political power. It was a center of Greco-Roman culture in the Palestine, a large pagan population. This place was also known for Baal worship, 14 temples in that one area, in that one city. The city had a lot of temples. And Jesus takes his disciples to this place. Now, besides these temples, there was also a, a, a temple dedicated to emperor worship. Emperor Caesar and emperor worship was taking place. It was a magnificent temple with impressive white marble structure glistening in the sun, built in the honor of uh, Emperor Caesar. So this was a pagan, an idolatrous, and a Gentile place, and Jesus takes his disciples for a retreat. Now, it's, it's, it's difficult for us in the Western world to understand temples all around you and pagan worship taking place. When I was in the Bible College in India, um, doing my bachelor studies, we went to uh, the city, uh, it's called Temple City in India, to do a church plant. And every street corner, there was a temple. Every large tree, there was an idol, and people would be worshiping. Every street you turn into, there'll be an idol worship, a temple. It really got into me, actually, being there for days in a place like this. Everywhere temple worship, the priests offering worship and all this kinds of idols. So it was a place like this that Jesus takes the disciples for a retreat. A retreat camp. Why, why did Jesus take his disciples to a place like that for a retreat? And, he, and in, in this place, in this camp, Jesus asked his disciples two very important questions. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? We're going to look at these two questions that Jesus asked the disciples in, in this pagan, idolatrous a city, a retreat. He asked this question. First question, who do people say I am? That's verse 13. What was people saying about Jesus? What was the general opinion about Jesus on the streets? They came back with the answer. Some say he's John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Interesting with his names given out there, what people are saying. John the Baptist, he, he, he just lost his life beheaded for opposing Herod. So people thought maybe he's come back like John the Baptist. Elijah. In the Old Testament, we find that he was carried away in chariots of fire. Probably this is Elijah, come back again in form of Jesus. Still others, Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet, 
who prophesied the destruction of, of Israel as a nation. And people did not listen to his prophecy. Uh, and, and, and the nation of Israel was carried away. And there was no more Israel as a nation. And no one knows what happened to Jeremiah the prophet. So they think that he is, that Jesus is Jeremiah the prophet come back again. They stumble around a bit. But they, 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 they get the latest Facebook update on who Jesus is from the crowd. Now each of these relate Jesus to a famous, respected figure of Israel in the past. But every single one of them fail to recognize Jesus as Lord. John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah, yes, but not Jesus as Lord. Friends, what about today? What is the word on the street? If you were to ask, go up to the shopping center, North Lakes, and ask people, who is Jesus? What would he say? What would they say? What's the public opinion of Jesus in our workplace? At our uni? In our schools? What do people say who Jesus is? I want to ask you this morning, what are some of the answers you have heard about who Jesus is? Just by the average people. What do they say who Jesus is? Yeah, Josh? Very popular saying. A good man. But wise saying, good sayings. Anyone else? Yes, Robin? Yeah, a good teacher? A good prophet? Words on the street, a great thinker? One who said good moral example? A good philosopher? A great teacher? Somebody said he's the greatest among the human beings. Rock stars have sung Jesus Christ as a superstar. But in every case, what people are saying is really far below who Jesus is. He may be like John or Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets, but he is far greater. In fact, he's unique and there is no one like him. So Jesus asked this first question, who do people say that I am? And now he comes to the second question in verse 15. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? What about you? Who do you say that I am? In this verse, verse 15, Jesus makes his question more personal. Yes, Jesus wanted to know what people were thinking about him. But even more, Jesus wanted to know what the disciples believed. He wanted to know what they were thinking. And that was more important for Jesus. So he asked this question, who do you say that I am? Ah, it's quite interesting if you look at the Greek background. In the original, you is a personal pronoun. It's emphatic and plural. So it goes like this in the original Greek. You, who do you all say I am? He was not just asking for one person, but he was asking for all his disciples. Who, who do you all say that I am? And that was a hitting question 
for his disciples. Who do you all say that I am? This question is asked with the great emphasis on you. What does it mean to us personally? If Jesus were, uh, uh, he's here in our midst. Okay, he's in EMS. But if he were to appear physically and ask each and every one of you this question, who do you say that I am? What would you say, friends? This question forces us to consider, it forces me to consider what I really believe. Who is Jesus for me? What do I believe about him? Why am I a Christian? To me, it means being made right with God by his grace. It means freedom from trying to be good enough in God's eyes. It means life transformed. What about you, friends? Who is Jesus to you? What about you? Peter answered, you are Messiah, the son of the living God. And that's a great confession of what a father in heaven is revealed to us. This is the heart of the gospel revelation. This is the heart of Christian message. You are Christ, the son of the living God. That you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is the fundamental Christian confession. We who confess the name of Christ must remain firm in our conviction that he is the son of the living God. Stay firm, hold on to this conviction, friends, even though more and more people around us are beginning to believe he is one among many gods, a good philosopher, but we as Christians who confess the name of Jesus Christ, let's hold firmly to that confession, to that belief of who Jesus is in our lives. Has he made a difference in your life? We do not follow a Christ who is merely a moral teacher or a good man. Rather, we follow after Christ who claimed who he was, who demonstrated who he was, and that he was the very son of God, the savior of the world. That's the Christ we follow after. That's the Christ we worship. R.C. Sproul, one of the leading Bible teachers, there's no more today, he said, the church stands strong and unconquerable as long as it is, remains committed to its confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. The church will stay strong as long as it's committed to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Matthew 16, 17 to 18, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Look at that verse again, friends. When Peter confessed, made a confession, proclamation, a declaration of who Christ was, and this is what Jesus replied, responded to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Friends, if we can confess this from our hearts, from deep within our hearts, that he is Christ the Savior, then we too, Ah, blessed.
we too are blessed. This is the divine revelation by the Father through the Spirit. Look at that verse. Blessed are you, Simon. And if we can say this morning, yes, I can say from the bottom of my heart that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus would say to us here this morning, blessed are you, Sam. Blessed are you. Put your name in it if you can make that confession. This is not revealed to by any flesh and blood, not revealed by any man. But this is a divine revelation from God, the Father in our hearts. And on this rock of Peter's confession, Jesus said, I will build my church. Friends, this morning, how many of us can say truly from our hearts that you are Christ, the Son of the living God? And if there's anyone here in our midst, or those of you watching online, you're struggling with this aspect of saying Jesus Christ is some of the living God, and you still can't make sense out of this. Now is the time to confess, saying, Jesus, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And those of you friends who are here who are struggling with this, you want to know more about this, see us after the service. Catch up with Tim. Catch up with Bill or the elders and ask, what does it mean? To confess that Jesus Christ is the living God. What does it mean? How do I do it? Come and see us during, this, uh, during the week. It's a great confession because it's not revealed by any man but by the Father who is in heaven through the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, in both these verses, friends, in the previous verse as well, when he said, um, let me see if we can go back. Yep, when he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. Why did he bring Jonah in? Simon, Peter, Jonah, a hint of what happened to Jonah. Three days in darkness. There's a hint of what was, what, he, what was coming to him. And so in this verse too, we find that Jesus again saying, the gates of Hades. Again, another hint of what was going to happen to Jesus, of where he was going to go. Tim will take this on next Sunday. Fascinating thing how Jesus brings his hints to tell us what's happening. So here we have Peter's confession when he confessed who Christ was. And now Jesus responds saying, upon you, upon this confession, Peter, I will build this church. I will build my church. It's an incredible promise that Jesus makes. And in the light of this confession, Jesus immediately goes on to talk about the church. Now when he told the disciples, I will build my church, the disciples must be wondering, what church is this? There was no church at the time. There's just a temple. The worship was taking place in the temple. What is Jesus talking about the church? Friends, we know the church came into existence in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came down, inaugurated the church into the history of the world. So what does Jesus say about this church? We're going to look at the statement when he said, I will build Tim's church. Churches of Christ church. No, my, my church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not stand against it. 
I. Jesus said, I. Marks Christ's lordship. Jesus is the only rightful founder and the head of the church. Not anyone else. It does not matter who or what it is. It is he. Because he said, I. It is the same I that we find when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in, in the gospel of John. The same I. I am. He said, I am the one who's building this church. Who else can say that, friends? Except Jesus. I. The next word. Will. He didn't say I. Maybe. Or I. Let's see. But he said, I will. Will marks Christ's authority. When Jesus says he will, he expresses authority. And Matthew chapter 28, 18 says, go into all the world with the authority that's been given to me. He sends us out with the authority that he has got. It's an indicate, it indicates future time in which Jesus' plans would be carried out. Where the church would come into existence and the church will begin to march on with the authority that is, with, that is of Jesus Christ. And we see in the book of Acts how the church began to grow. But at this time when Jesus said, I will, he was telling his disciples, I will do it. Jesus' plan is certain. He will build his church and nothing will stop him. Nothing, friends, will stop him. Look at the next word. Build. When Jesus says build, he's expressing his work. He is building brick by brick. People by people. When he's talking about this church, it's not about a cathedral or a building. But it's you and I. It is you and I. He is building us up. One person at a time. He is building his kingdom. He is building his church. And we find that on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, the church grew. God was building up. He added people daily to the church. We saw that when we did the series in the book of Acts. He will build. Jesus said in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. He will build. The next word, my, that's a great word. Oh my, my, my. My marks Christ's possession. That he possesses the church. It's my church, Jesus says. Me indicates to whom the church belongs to. The church is one foundation in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. The church is a bride in whom he loves. She belongs to no other except to Jesus. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. And he will reign over it forever and ever and ever. He gave his life for the church. God created everything else. But the church cost him dearly. He paid a huge, huge price for building you and me. He paid a price for us. Verse 18. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In the New Testament, Hades was the realm of the dead. Hint, hint, hint. Jesus is saying, that's what's going to happen in the future for me. 
And he says, even that, even the gates of hell or hates will not overcome it. Friends, what a tremendous promise it is for us today. What a promise. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hates will not stand against it. Friends, death is the last enemy of mankind and Jesus conquered death. Today we can say, as Apostle Paul says, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? Death has lost its sting. Has lost its power because of Jesus. Because of what he did. He destroyed death. He destroyed his power. Jesus is hinting at his imminent death. Through the cross where he was crucified and buried, he would rise again from the dead to build his church. He would send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to help in building the church. Jesus is emphasizing the fact that powers of death could not stop him. Powers of death will not hold him back. And we are privileged beyond measure to be a part of this kingdom of God, the church that you and I, friends. What a privilege it is for us this morning to be a part of the kingdom. If you're not sure, come and see us after service. It's an immense privilege to be a part of this kingdom. Organizations will come and go. Kingdoms have come and gone. But the church will never be stopped. The church will never be shaken. The church will never disappear. Because this is his church. He is building. And one day, friends, he is going to come back again. Not as a baby in the manger, but as the king of kings and the lord of lords to take his church with him. We are going to be with him. Feasting on his banquet table together. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to be on this. He's going to come back for his church. He's going to come back, friends. The church is not wiped out. It's his church. The church is marks, the church marks Christ's call. When Jesus says church, the ecclesia is a call at once. The church is the one that Jesus has called for himself, his bride, his possession, the one who has paid his price. We are the church. The church in the Bible is not a cathedral or a building or a sort of building. It is you and me. And friends, be encouraged this morning that he is building us up. He loves us. He's paid a price for us. He's bought us. He's made us his own. We are his possession. The Bible uses the word church to represent whom God has called. The church is a living church. Why? Because Christ is living. Christ is alive and he's not dead. Now, well, some of you must be second guessing. Really? What's he babbling on there? What's he saying the church is not dead? What's he saying the church is alive? Look at what's happening around us. You might be wondering, what impact is the church making in this 21st century? The evidence is clear, friends. Christianity on the global scale is on the rise. The church is on the rise on the global scale. God is doing amazing things around the world. If we think the church is dead, think again. The church is growing in spite of deaths and persecution and opposition. Governments and kingdoms over the past try to destroy church. 
the church grew again. Right from the very early time, when the Roman Empire tried to destroy church and see that it doesn't exist anymore, but it grew. It grew. According to Washington Post, an American's most widely circulated daily newspaper in May 20, 2015, it said, think Christianity is dying? No. Christianity is, shift, is shifting dramatically. Christianity was on the is on the decline in the West, but the growth has shifted. South Korea, one of the largest churches, we had the privilege to go to South Korea as a family, and we, youngest church, church, we sat, we went to service, two thirty service, eighty thousand people, young people. What a privilege it is to worship God there. China, Asia, and Africa, the church is growing. Over the past years, Christianity has grew from less than 10% in Africa to a population of nearly 500 million today. Put in context of Australian population. 21, 22, 25 million, 500 million. One out of four Christians in the world is presently an African. Asia is also experiencing growth in the world. Christianity in Christian center has moved to the east as well. Asia, Christian populations are from 350 million is projected to go to 460 million by 2025. China supposedly had 1.2 million Christians in 1949, now has estimate of 100 million believers around the world. The Chinese government is making clear that although the persecution isn't severe as it used to be, Christian faith is still not welcomed, but the church is growing. Iran Iran's intelligence minister has, ad has admitted publicly for the first time that Christianity is spreading throughout Iran. Iran's radical regime has stepped up its effort to prevent the spread of Christianity without, without, uh, within its borders. While the official reports claim that 99% of Iranians practice Islam, 2020 survey found that just 40% actually identify themselves with Muslim. About 20 years ago, a number of Christian converts to Muslim background has been between 5,000 to 10,000. Today, it's estimated between 800,000 to 1 million people, Iranians, coming to the Lord. Operation World has said Iran has the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. There are many Iranian diaspora who are becoming Christian right around the world, right here in Brisbane. There are two Iranian churches, two house group churches, in, in, in Annerley, Underwood, South Bank, and Aljester, and I've met some of these Iranians. Friends, it's challenging to hear the testimony that church is growing in a country like this. There's a wonderful testimony. It's put out on the, front, on the desk outside of an Iranian refugee who came to Australia, who met the Lord. Tremendous, challenging testimony. Pick up a copy as you got as in the front door, uh, on the desk outside there. Wonderful testimony of what God is doing. The church is the only thing that cannot be shaken. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, friends. God is building his church. We must never forget that God said, that Jesus said, I will build my church. Let us remain firm in our conviction that he is the son of the living God. And before we, come, before we sing this song, blessing and honor, the musicians would come up. It's a great song that will help us to remember that even powers of death 
could not hold him, could not stop him, will not stop him from building his church. Christ is seated on the throne, victorious, alive, and is not dead. Friends, don't give in to the lie of the enemy that the church is dead. Don't give in. The church is alive and we are growing. He is our Lord. Shall we pray? Get excited. Let me pray. The church is alive and not dead. Father, we thank you this morning. You know, Lord God, that we serve a God who is alive, who said, I will build my church. And here at Rivers, Father, we might think that we're a small group, but Lord, we are a mighty force in God's kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you are building this church, that this is your church. You paid a price for it. Help us, Father. And Lord, just like Peter confessed, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. May we in our hearts, deep down, confess that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Help us, we pray, Father, today. Help us, Lord, for those who are struggling to make this commitment. That the Holy Spirit would show, would open their eyes to see Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, friends.